So you're in the high school age again. We we're just talking about mom's high school, 50th high school reunion. I'm sure some of you can match that, if not better, that record for out of high school. I know I'm almost 30 years out. I think we've got three more years and we're 30 years out of, of high school, which is mind bottling, as one of the guys I like to watch on YouTube says. Uh, but uh, anyway, we'll go back in time for you all. And we're going to actually start our class off like we do in the back. And we're going to start with a video this morning. Now, this video is a news story. And it talks about a thing called influencers. Who here knows what an influencer is? Okay, there are a few. <laughs> influencer are YouTube people. They call them influencers. All right. I don't know why they call them that, but they're influencing somebody. All right. And this story, they're going to talk about how they're influencing kids. So watch the story and we'll discuss when we're done. Hopefully this will work. Our study looked at the top kid influencers on YouTube, and they found that they are making millions of dollars to advertise unhealthy products to your kids. They sure are. Health reporter Haley Hernandez is joining us live. And Haley, this is happening at a time where kids are vulnerable to more adult diseases as well, right? Yeah, you are absolutely right, Christine. Unfortunately, rates of adult diseases like type 2 diabetes, liver disease, those things are on the rise in children. I spoke to a pediatrician from Pasadena who says that her youngest patient with adult onset diabetes is 8 years old. And that's also a key demo for kidfluencers on YouTube to advertise junk food to children. In 2020, most kids are getting more screen time than what's recommended, and it turns out it might have long-term health consequences, according to Dr. Lindy McGee from Harris Health in Pasadena. And, and making it look like they're just playing with something or making it look like they're just eating something, but they're getting paid to do that. In a study published in the Journal of Pediatrics, they looked at 418 YouTube videos. 179 of them featured food and drinks, which popped up almost 300 times. Anyone searching for kids and teen videos can easily be bombarded by social media stars playing with toys, fast food, coffee. Even though for decades, TV characters haven't been allowed to do things like this viral video of Jojo Siwa saying she's eating 100 Happy Meals. And yet there are no regulations for this. What's worse, your kids under 8, according to McGee, are not developmentally able to recognize ads. For those kids, we really should be limiting their access to media um, and making sure that the media that they're absorbing is educational and ethical. For older children, she says, set strict parental controls and teach them when there's ad placement, even if it doesn't look like a commercial, which isn't easy even for educated adults. Even when you spot it, it works. It works in adults. Adults know that it's going on. Um, but we're influenced by social media influencers who are paid to give endorsements as well. Now, KPRC was not able to personally verify that the people shown, the stars shown in that piece were uh, did receive endorsements for these videos. But Dr. McGee says policymakers really need to consider all kinds of product placement bans in these kids' videos. She says that laws need to be written so flexible that when new media platforms pop up, it always remains against policy and unethical to advertise to children. Keith and Christine. And Haley, because we know that social media sites tend to come and go these days, the doctors say whether that actually makes it harder to police than, say, traditional TV shows? 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what she said, and that's why she says that the laws need to be written really flexibly, so so with a lot of flexibility, so that these advertisers can't find these types of loopholes. Um, and she says that these kids on YouTube, they're viewed as more real-life kids because they're not scripted, and therefore they get a lot more credibility with our children. Christine? All right, Haley, we appreciate the update. Very eye-opening for a lot of parents. All right. Some hard-hitting journalism there, I think. So the problem in the video presented was kids watching YouTube are influenced to go out and eat 100 Happy Meals because a girl on YouTube is doing it. And or a kid is opening a Happy Meal toy and it influences kids. Subliminally, it's like an ad for that product. And we all know that only kids get sucked into ads and buy stuff they shouldn't, Right? What? It's the American way. You know, I, I've only had cable a really small percentage of my life. And one, and one of the channels, there's two channels on there. I think they're actually the same channel or owned by the same people. There's HSN and QVC, right? So we have the Home Shopping Network and whatever QVC stands for. I don't know what that stands for. So I, I watch, I'm flipping, I'll stop on those, and I'll see some of the dumbest products you could imagine. But what do you see happening constantly? They're selling them. Now, I will say there's one guy in particular on there that David, whatever his name is, guy, he's got the Cooking with David segments. I like to watch that guy. I like his stuff. I never buy it, but I like to watch that guy. My wife makes fun of me because I watch him, but I like it. I like to watch that guy. But think about us as adults and these kids. Are we influenced by people peddling products on television and media? Yeah. Uh, I remember this is, you know, going way back to the 90s when Terminator 2 came out. Pepsi had a big deal and paid money for product placement in the movie. Now, obviously, the movie had nothing to do with Pepsi. But when you watch Terminator 2, if you ever do or ever have, when they're when the Terminator is chasing the kid, which it's kind of the premise of the movie, through, he goes through a mall, they go through everything. Every time they turn a corner, guess what you're seeing? A Pepsi machine sitting there. Or somebody's drinking a Pepsi. And Pepsi paid, I remember at the time it was a big deal. They paid millions of dollars to have their Pepsi machine at the end of the corridor. The machine, the robot was chasing the kid in. I'm like, are you serious? But what's that, you know, you're sitting there watching and all of a sudden you're like, what? Pepsi sure does sound good. And maybe it keeps robots away. I don't know. Right? So we are definitely influenced by it. Now, the one thing that gets me when I see stories like this or think, if, things like this, when they're talking about making laws to limit businesses to how they can produce or show their products, does that, you know, does that chafe anybody else's, you know, sensibilities? Or do you think we should have laws that limit product placement and how companies should sell their products? Oh, you want to put it back on the parents? That they shouldn't take their kid and buy their kid 100 Happy Meals at McDonald's? Or constantly feed them Pepsi or whatever product it may be. That's what really gets me is, you know, in a capitalism society, and I'm a big capitalist fan, let capitalism do what it does. And if you don't like it, guess what? Don't buy it. But we do see our America, so to speak, and we won't say our world, but America is definitely a sucker for a nice looking ad or a slick presentation. Uh, you know, again, you go to the grocery store, they, I don't think they do as much as often but as they used to, but they used to have, every once in a while, they get on the loudspeaker and they say, hey, over an aisle, whatever, there's a special deal for, if you watch the presentation, you'll get a special deal at the end of the presentation. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? They do like knives and towels and whatever else. And sometimes you walk up and say, what kind of suckers 
listen to this guy, pitch this stuff, and buy a product. I'll, t- I'll tell you one. One's in Illinois right now, and I hope he listens to this at some point. Because he bought some knives from a dude, I think at Walmart or Meyer or something once, and he gave me one. He's so proud of these knives. And that knife cannot be one of the dullest knives in the world I've ever seen in my life. And whenever it comes to my house... And we have something to slice. I usually only use it to cut cake is all I use that knife for. And I always say, where's that super dull knife at, Trisha? I'm like, oh, here it is. I pull it out, and he knows which one I'm talking about. It's the one he gave me. So anyway, but we do it all the time. So we can't just say it's kids, make more laws, protect kids. How about people put brains in their heads and use them brains and decide for themselves? That being said, about decisions and influence and temptation, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, will you? Genesis chapter 3. Obviously... Most of you are students of the Bible. You know where we're going here. We're talking about the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 3, we're going to learn about Adam, Eve, and that serpent. Okay. Now, we've already seen in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, creation, how God set it up perfectly, how God placed us perfectly in that plan, how he's placed us now in a garden. We're not working hard. And I say we because we should count ourselves in the story of Adam and Eve because I don't care who we were. We would have been there in their shoes. We would have done the same things they would have done. Uh, we were in a great position. We were in a perfect place. And here we are now, just three slight chapters into the Word of God, and we're going to see where mankind messes up God's plan for perfection right off the bat. All right? If somebody would, would you read the first six verses for us this morning? If not, I will read them. All right, so here's the classic story we've read many times. Let's look at some key factors to this, and I want to point out some key truths about this. But our first key truth this morning is that Satan seeks to draw us into sin, all right? Satan seeks to draw us into sin. Now, this, the statement I just made, I think, should make you pause just a little bit. I know you're seasoned Bible aficionados here, but pause a little bit and think about that statement. Where is Satan in these six verses? He's in the garden. Where? I'm sorry. Where does it say that? What's verse 1 say? Now, the serpent was more, and depending on what, what uh, translation, subtle, crafty, slick, than any other creature. Now, again, I say that because we as seasoned Christians automatically associate what? The serpent with who? With Satan. But the Bible doesn't say that. If I were the first time we're walking in to this church service, and we all said, well, Satan made them do it, you know what I'd be doing if it's a first-timer? Where's, where's Satan at? What are you talking about, Satan? Now, we, again, associate Satan, serpent, serpent, Satan. We don't have a problem with that. Why don't we have a problem with that? Has anybody thought about why you don't have a problem with that before? 
you've always assumed Satan is the serpent, serpent is Satan? Well, the number one is later references tell us what? This is Satan. All right? This is Satan. Now, I'll say this. Um, I, I can't verbatim prove this, but I believe this is Satan in a serpent. This is a real snake. Okay? This is not a conjuring of the devil himself, and they call him a snake. This is a real physical snake. Uh, just like we read in the New Testament passages where animals are possessed by demons. Now, is there a passage you know of, am I making stuff up, where animals possess, are possessed by demons? Bingo. When, when we're talking about legion, right, and the pigs get possessed by the demons and they run off the cliff. So we know that it's possible. So this is a real serpent. Again, this is not a poof, here's the magic Satan serpent. This is a real serpent possessed by Satan. Now, the next question is this. Ladies, let's ask you because we're talking about Eve first. If a snake crawled up to you in, in the woods or in the house or whatever, what would your first reaction be? Run. Trisha, what would yours be? Pass out. Okay. Now, my question is, why doesn't Eve have a problem with this snake getting up next to her? That's a great point. There is no danger in this world. Why would she think this animal, this serpent they've probably seen before, is any different than any other cuddly animal? I always love the pictures of the drawings of Adam and Eve in the garden. There's always bears like nuzzling up to them, you know. They're petting lions and wolves, which is probably could have happened, right? So why would you think she'd be afraid of a snake if she's not afraid of a bear or a lion sitting next to her, right? So there's no evil in the world, so naturally there's no reason why Eve should think this snake is here for her harm. She doesn't know what harm even is. Now, a little bit of Hebrew for you. Now, I will admit, I took nine hours of Hebrew in college, and I, it's, that's terrible. It's terrible, and I'm not good at it. It's so difficult. If you don't know what Hebrew looks like, to me it looks like dashes and dots, and there's different dots for different things, different dashes for different things, and that one dot will change the whole meaning of a sentence, and it, it's hard. But anyway, what I know about it a little bit is, it's kind of interesting. We're going to find out here in a minute, and you guys know the, the moral of the story here. Adam and Eve, when they eat the fruit, they wake up, so to speak, and they realize what? Remember? They're naked, and they're ashamed of that nudity, right? The root word in Hebrew for naked is the same root word they get words like subtle and crafty from. All right? So what that means to me is we can really link all this sin and shame right to the devil itself. All right? And that how subtle and crafty he is. All right? So anyway, right now at this point, though, everybody's fine and we're not having a problem, right? The snake starts talking. Anybody else want to say, hey, why would... Wouldn't Eve say, what's up with the snake talking? Same thing Colt said. She doesn't know any harm or difference. So, okay, an animal talks. I don't know. Does that mean all animals talk to this point? Go ahead, Brother Paul. The snake? Oh, I definitely th- Yeah, I definitely think he's on legs. He had legs, yeah. So, yeah, he had legs. I don't think... I, I love the artist rendering, too, that uh, usually he's in a tree, right? And he's slithering down with no legs in a tree. No, he had legs. He had legs. It's interesting to know, too, in modern snakes, uh, you can still see the points on their bodies and their skeleton where the legs were. I don't know if you knew that or not. In fact, boas and uh, constrictor-type snakes 
uh, the back of their tail. They call it a vent there near their vent. Uh, there's still a claw and a femur bone, like little bitty pieces of them that you can barely see, and it's really inside their body. You can still see evidence of them there. Uh, if you look this up and Google it yourself today, you'll, you'll say, oh, the fossil record shows the slow decline of legs and snakes, and uh, they lost their front legs first and their back legs last, and yada, 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 down over millions of years. Uh, you know, my question is, and I even asked Jeremy what his thoughts on this were, uh, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we're not to that point yet, but when God curses the snake, what's he telling? You'll be on your belly from now on. Now, my question is, did he lose his legs there, like poof, they're gone? Or was that the last snake or last generation of snakes or how many snakes? Or, I don't know if there's only, I doubt there's only one snake in the garden. I don't know. But is it, did, they, did they all lose their legs? Did they have legs and their next offspring didn't have legs? I don't know. I'm assuming kind of my traditional idea would say he lost his legs immediately right there. Uh, so, you know, I, again, I don't necessarily believe the fossil record as far as they interpret it a lot of times. So if they say there was a snake with legs, you know what I'd argue? That probably wasn't a snake. That's probably a lizard. Because uh, that's one of the main characteristics. And it's funny, uh, there's an argument, too, about do you classify these snakes with legs as snakes or not? Because the main classification for snake is it doesn't have limbs. So, you know, it's, even in our modern scientists argue that point. But I would say that snake probably lost his limbs right there. But you're right. He was there. He was walking and, you know, and talking, so to speak, uh, to Eve that day. So we have here a setup for the story. And then we have a conversation between Eve and the snake. The snake says, did God really say... And Eve says what? Yeah, here's what God said. You'll die if you touch that tree, which is really an exaggeration if we read our scripture properly of what God actually told Eve. But then anyway, you know, the devil comes right back and says what? You won't die. Now, I got two, I got three young kids. I got two of them here this morning to hear me. Um, Us older people, have you ever had a friend in your life? Tell you, oh, don't worry about that. That's not a big deal. And you went along with them and it was a big deal. Yeah. You know, there's so many people that are so many, there's so many experts in our world, are there not? They're just experts on all topics. No matter what it is, you might know somebody in your life that's an expert on all topics and they're amazing like that. I know a few and I'm, I could be accused of being one sometimes. Uh, but, you know, there's always that person that says, oh, that's, they have those warnings on there. That's ridiculous. Um, I was thinking the other day, um, when I worked up in Dayton for a while, I worked with two ladies and they were talking one morning. We were opening up the store and the one said, oh, I'm so aggravated. We went to the store last night. We came home and we had two gallons of milk and putting groceries away. We left them on the counter, went to bed, got up and they were still on the counter. And so I had to throw out two gallons of milk this morning. The other one who was more of a rural person and, uh, uh said, oh, you're going to drink that milk. It'd have been fine. You know, she's more of a farm type, you know, person. So she was like, ah, you know, they pasteurize it. You'll be okay. And the, the other lady was not that way. She was definitely a city person. She's like, there's no way I'm drinking that milk. I dumped it out. I dumped it out again. Now, I don't know if you guys would, I don't know, honestly, if it'd be good or not. There's no way I'm touching that milk. If it's sitting out for eight hours or 10 hours, there's no way. All right. So anyway, I always think it's funny, but uh, there's always an expert out there. This expert here obviously is selling lies and he knows it. He knows. Now he knows they won't physically die, but he knows what? They're going, to, they're going to spiritually die. He knows it. So the story says Eve ate of the fruit and then went to her husband and gave him the fruit, right? What's it say? He was there. She turned and gave him the fruit. 
Think about that. You ever thought about that? Adam was there the entire time. Did he say, hey, Eve, stop talking to that snake? Did he say, hey, snake, that's not true? Did he say, hey, Eve, we know better? What do you do? He let her eat that fruit, and then he ate that fruit. You know, too often in life, we have, may have a little more knowledge than somebody else, and what do we do? We let them do the wrong thing. And then, a lot of times, what do we do? We participate in that wrong thing. We know it's not right to spread gossip, but guess what we do sometimes? We get in the mix, midst of a gossip session and we spread it to you. We know it's not proper to use certain language, but guess what we do around certain people? We use that language. We know we shouldn't go there, watch that, hear that, drink that, eat that, but guess what we do in certain circles? We do that thing. We have more knowledge. We ought to do better in our lives. We don't need to let sin go just because we want to be a friend to somebody. We are not friends when we let sin go. Sin is serious, and obviously we see the consequences here shortly, but it will devastate lives no matter what the sin is. We need to stand up. So here we are, opening scenario. We have two people who know better listening to a snake. They fall for it, and let's see what happens. We need to read a little more here this morning. We're going to break these verses down. Again, if I can get a couple of volunteers. Let's read verse 7 through like 14 and then 15 through 24. Can somebody read 17 through 24 for us?
Thank you, guys. All right, so here we have the culmination of the fall here. So we have God enters the scene. Now, let's not forget, and of course we know, that God is omnipotent, omniscient, all those good things. He knows what's going on. He knew what happened. He knows where Adam and Eve are. But God comes down, as he usually did in the cool of the day, to talk and walk with Adam and Eve. And when he gets there, what's he find? They're hidden. And then God calls out to Adam and says, where are you? Again, God knows all, sees all. He knows. He asks the question, though, to really identify with Adam. Do you know what's going on here? Do you know what you really have done? Adam comes out and he says, well, we hid ourselves because we were naked and we were ashamed. Now, let's ask this first question. Why would they have to be naked and ashamed? Why would they have to be, why would they, you know, have this, this feeling of being ashamed? We, we realize we are naked and we were ashamed. What makes them ashamed? It's the sin, right? They were naked before. Were they ashamed before? Did they feel like they had to hide before? No, but something changed in their lives. Now, Think about modern day life. Uh, think about small children, babies. Do babies feel ashamed for being naked? They don't have a sense of that. They don't, they don't care who changes them or who bathes them or uh, if they run around with no clothes on. They don't, it doesn't bother them. But usually there's an age where it does start to bother a child. And like adults, we sensibly don't do it. Or, you know, of course, there are some communities that do, but uh, sensible people don't run around and, and show off all they got to everybody. Uh, so they have this automatic sense of shame. And again, we go back to that subtle, you know, the shameful, the sinful, the naked. It all has the same root words in Hebrew. We, we see a tie together here that it doesn't matter that they haven't uh, uh, been told it's wrong. They have an internal feeling now it's wrong. Things have flipped in their minds. It kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the New Testament Christians. And maybe you guys are thinking, how does that make you think of New Testament Christians? Well, think about this. Remember the day of Pentecost, what happened to Christianity? What happened on the day of Pentecost in the New Testament? The Spirit came, right? And indwelled the believers, correct? To that point, did the Spirit of God live in believers? It did not. Think about Old Testament prophets. Think about Jeremiah, Isaiah, all those guys. When they write their books, what does it always, and I shouldn't say always, usually say at the beginning of a chapter or a passage when they're prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. Uh, when they, like Elijah, performed a miracle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah, and Elijah did such and such. What would happen inevitably with the Spirit of the Lord? It would go away. So Elijah walked around not like us. How is he not like us? He didn't have the spirit internally all the time. We have that. Again, kind of a rough, you know, approximational idea. But think of the same thing with Adam and Eve. We live with sin all the time, right? We naturally feel bad for all kinds of things. Adam and Eve didn't have that. All of a sudden, though, that switch has been flipped. And what do they have? They have that feeling in them. And it's all the time. Think about your sin for a minute, if you will. Kind of a side topic. When do you not feel guilty for the sins you committed? Think about that. Think about, no matter how old you are, I'm 45 years old. For my 45 years, I've committed I don't know how many sins. And if I sit and think back to those years and those sins, guess what I still feel? Guilty. It never goes away. Now, I know, though, what? In my mind, I know what? 
I've been forgiven. And to God, should I feel guilty about those sins? I shouldn't, but guess what I still do? I do. I feel guilty. Why? Because that switch was flipped back in the garden that I now face guilt. Think about, if you will, what is one of the worst things you go through in life? Think about one of the worst things you have in life. To me, it's guilt. Because Why? Because it never goes away, and I never forget it. Unlike other things that have happened to me, or I might even be mad at the person that did a sin to me, but for, if I sin against somebody else, that's what I still feel. I still feel that guilt and that regret. I, you know, I don't care sometimes with the things people have done to me, but I still care about the things I've done to people and the things I've done against God. Man, that never goes away. And now Adam and Eve have that in their lives for the rest of their lives. And think about their lives. How much longer were their lives than our lives? They're living like Adam lives over 900 years. That's a long time to have all that guilt. He doesn't have just basic regular guilt. What's he got guilt? Bringing sin into the world guilt. And you, think about it. You ever thought about this? I never have. Adam and Eve could look at everybody in creation at the end of their dying days. And what could be in their heads? I caused them to do that. What I did in that garden caused me to cause that and this and that sin and this sin. It caused me for Cain to kill Abel. That, it's my fault. Would Cain have killed Abel if it wasn't for Adam and Eve? No. But they did it. It was their fault. I can't imagine. Our key truth number two is sin has consequences. Let's think about consequences. I just gave you, to me, the number one worst one, the guilt. For the rest of their lives, they knew they ruined creation. Guilt. Did they get forgiveness from God? They did. They did. But the rest of their lives, they live with that guilt. What other consequences do we see in those verses we read? There's a lot. Number one, the snake loses his legs. And there's the guilt of the curse. Now, I don't want to argue this point, but I kind of find it weird that, was it that physical snake's fault for what happened? No. The devil inhabited that snake, possessed that snake, however you want to view it. But that snake paid the price, and that snake, so to speak, for generations paid that price. We got Eve. She's the first one to eat the fruit, and of course we see Adam pawns it off on her. Adam, why did you do that? Did you eat that fruit? Did you touch that tree like I told you not to? Is that what you did? Eve gave it to me, God. You know, I got three boys. And I, it, I don't care how old kids are, they blame somebody else for their problems. And how many times have I told you guys who to blame things on? Don't blame me. When, I, when you guys blame others, what do I tell you? Whose fault is it? Who made you do that thing? Let's think about it. Whose fault is it we ever do anything? It's our fault. It's our fault. So Adam, of course, says, Eve, the woman, you, and he says, you gave her to me, God. It's not like I came up with a woman. You gave her to me. So he's trying to pass the buck as fast as he possibly can. And, you know, here we are 2,000 generations later and we're doing the same thing. So Eve, God goes to Eve and says, Eve, what'd you do? She ate the fruit. The serpent told me. God goes and he deals with all three groups. The woman has now extreme pain in childbirth. And there are other things she'll have to put up with too the rest of her life that cause her pain. The man now is going to be charged with working and growing in the midst of thorns and thistles and sweating. Again, can you imagine? And, you know, a guy like me who sweats a lot, I can't imagine. But can you imagine ever not sweating? Unless I'm in a freezer, I can't imagine not sweating. But Adam had lived however long he lived without sweat. Now, I don't think they live very particularly long in the garden. One of the, the reasons I would say that is they don't have any what yet. 
children, no kids yet. And they were commanded to fill the earth and, be multiply, and multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth, right? So they hadn't done any of that yet, so they don't have kids yet. They hadn't been there very long. But Adam now, instead of an easy, peaceful life where the ground basically produces for him, he now has to work the ground and get the things. Suffering and pain, all those things come along. And then God says there's image between the, the woman and the snakes, which we've uh, seen now. And I don't like snakes either, so I wouldn't blame just women on snakes. I don't like snakes either. Snakes are gross. Uh, whatever weirdos want to have snakes and or tarantulas for pets. My youngest son, Sam, wanted a tarantula for a pet for a while. I'm like, nope. What's the point of that? Uh, instead, we got a very useful hamster, whatever. But uh, now there's all these problems. But, you know, I, I was reading this this morning again, and I was thinking, wow, there wasn't one consequence for their sin, was there? Just long lines of sin. And think about it. You know, obviously this is the first sin. This is a big deal. But think about how a lot of times as, when we get in trouble, we want how many punishments? Like one real quick one, right? Uh, and you all in here have raised children at some point in your lives and possibly grandchildren. How devastated are kids when you name, you dole out the punishments? You know, they're cool with one thing, but you say that next thing and they just lose their minds. You know, honestly, it's one of the joys of parenting. Right? Come on. Making a kid suffer and lose his mind, that's one of the joys of parenting. Let's be honest. Right? But think about Adam and Eve and the things that, these are real things here. These are real consequences. And obviously they've gone down through us through the generations too. We're not talking about a quick, easy, oh, you know, say a Hail Mary, you're forgiven. we got some serious consequences for sin. We as adults and we as teens need to realize there are consequences for sin. One of my and my wife's favorite phrases a lot of people say about kids, my oldest son is a senior in high school, getting ready to graduate, go to college next year. If we can, you know, pay enough money to bribe the schools to take him. But one of the things that kids that age want is that, that you know, sowing my wild oats. Or they need to have those experiences in life. They get into a little trouble. Has anybody ever heard an, an older person say, well, it's okay. It's okay for them to get in a little trouble at that age. Anybody heard that phrase or a similar phrase to that? What kind of stupid thinking is that? It goes back to one of our original thoughts today. Just like Adam sat there and watched Eve do what she did. Why, as a parent or a grandparent, would you let someone in your influence do stupid things that you know are wrong? That could have permanent consequences. Oh, it's okay if they do a little bit of that or go a little bit here. Or, uh, it's not a big deal. They're in that, that group or that thing or whatever it is. It's just they'll grow out of it. Do you know what the problem is? There are millions of kids who never did. You know why? They were killed doing stupid things. Or they got mixed with the wrong people doing stupid things. And we as adults let them do that because we said, oh, it's just sowing their wild oats. It's okay. Think about how, and that's the problem with us as adults and us as kids and us as seniors and us at whatever point in life. We don't fully think about all the consequences when we make our decisions. There are so many consequences that go along with sin. We have to be realistic with them and not baby them and not put them in the categories where they're not as bad as this sin or that sin. What does God say about sin? It's sin. It is sin. It doesn't matter if it's lying to save your, your dignity or if it's robbing a bank. A sin's a sin or whatever one you want to put in there. And we have to be realistic with the consequences of sin. I guarantee Adam and Eve had no idea what these consequences were going to be. And obviously it affected the world forever. But it wouldn't matter who we are, sin affects us forever. We never will get away from the sin we've committed either in our minds or it would be found out. 
And here we go again. Cooper, do me a favor. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 44. We're going to close on this thought here this morning. I don't even know what time it is. Oh, yeah. We're right on time. John chapter 8, verse 44. When you get there, please read it out loud. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me go back. This is Jesus talking. By the way, if you're not there, if you're not reading along with us, this is Jesus talking, and he's speaking about the devil or to the the Pharisees themselves. Go ahead, Cooper. Sorry. All right. So we have Jesus talking here, and he says, you are of the devil. You are of Satan. He was a murderer from when? The beginning. What's Jesus talking about? The Garden of Eden. What did he just do in the Garden of Eden? He committed murder. Did he not? He sentenced people to what? To death. He's like a hitman. He may not have pulled the trigger. They pulled the trigger, but he set it up. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's the father of lies. Everything he says, Jesus says is what? Everything he says is what? It's a lie. It's a lie. Think about it. What did he tell uh, Eve? Did God really say, ah, you're not going to die? Everything Satan says is a lie. And we have to tell people, listen, Satan is real. By the way, I saw some uh, reporting the other day about Satan and about is Satan real? Is Satan still believed? I think it's, I think there's a recent study that said 60% of Americans still believe in a real, actual Satan. That blows my mind. Now, they may not hold him in the esteem he should be or fear him in the way that he should be feared, but they believe in a real Satan. We have to let the world know there is a real Satan. There is a real hell. Sin is wrong and there are consequences for those sins. If you do not believe so, if you think it's not a big deal the way I'm talking, it's not the big deal what I'm doing, how I'm interacting with my friends, my family, what example I'm showing others. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Because there is a sin there, and it's being committed. There are consequences. There is a Satan, and there is a hell. He is a liar. He will convince you, try to anyway, over and over again, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. And when we repeat those words, all we're doing is perpetuating his lie. His lie is, don't worry about it. Because for those of us who are smarter and know there's consequences, we need to shout from the rafters, watch out, there's something coming. I don't care if it's not here yet, or if it's here tomorrow, or a hundred years from now, there's a time coming when you're going to have to pay for your sins. They will not be forgotten. They will not be forgiven unless we do what? Come to an all-loving God and pray for forgiveness. And kneel at an altar and say, I am sorry for what I've done. The consequences can still be there. The consequence of guilt in our heart can still be there. But we can know that we are forgiven. But we cannot simply sit back and say, it's all right. Don't worry about it anymore. We need to be witnesses. We need to tell people Satan is real and he is a liar. Everything he says is a lie. There's nothing but lies in him, not one bit of truth. We have the truth of God's word and his spirit in us to tell other people to watch out. A simple story like Adam and Eve we heard of a hundred times. Hopefully this morning you thought of something you hadn't thought of before. Think about this, and then we're going to close. 
God never intended for this to happen, but it did. Thank God for his grace and his plan for his son to die on a cross. Here we have the pro-evangel in Genesis chapter 3 that says God has a plan to save mankind. He temporarily has something for Adam and Eve by the death of the animal. He sews together the uh, clothes for them to wear. That's a temporary fix for a permanent solution. He's later going to send his only son to die on a cross for us. And if we don't know him today, and I know all of you here do, tell your friends and family, there is a fix for this problem of sin in your life. There is a fix for this guilt. There is a fix for the syndrome you have in you that causes you to do wrong things. And he is Jesus Christ. And we need to share him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for this example for the Lord for us to follow. Such an important story in Genesis chapter 3 that we've read a thousand times. But God, we still learn something new. Help us, Lord, to stay away from sin. Help us not to give in to the devil. Help us not to let things pass by us that we can stop, change, or influence. Help us to do our best to be witnesses for you. In Jesus' name we pray.